0: Thank you for your fine singing today. Um, That song that we just sang was one of my favorites, uh, May the Mind of Christ My Savior. Very simple, uh, simple melody, but very deep truths there. And um, um, I am a professor at Faith Baptist Bible College as well, and that is actually the theme song for our department, um, the teacher ed department at Faith, uh, May the Mind of Christ My Savior. And um, and so um, as we get started here today, um, I'm just going to share a little bit of my testimony. As I look across our group here today, I see a lot of people that I know really well because we've been together for a number of years, but I see others that, are, that uh, I don't know so well. And I believe it's uh, good for us uh, to uh, share uh, our testimonies with one another, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later on in our, um, in our message here today about the power of your testimony and your witness for Christ. And, um, and so just to share a little bit, um, I was born in Mason City, Iowa, in northern Iowa, and um, I was blessed to have Christian parents um, who took me to church as a little guy. And um, um, I, so I was at church from the time I was born um, until now, basically. And, um, uh, but it wasn't until I was at the age of seven that I really realized that I needed to do something in my life to get right with God. Um, When I was seven years old, my mom took me to church, and we had a special evangelist speaker. And um, through his illustrations, back then we didn't have the fancy PowerPoints and all that kind of thing, Um, so uh, so he actually drew on this sketchboard. And um, some of you uh, old-timers, maybe you remember some of those evangelists who did that. But, um, but I remember as a small child, um, I realized I'm, I'm a sinner. I need to do something about this in order to be right with God. And so that night, um, I met with our pastor and, um, he showed me that I needed to confess my sins to God and ask for forgiveness and believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And so I did that that night. And, um, and then as a young boy, I grew up learning more about God in church and at home. And then as a teenager, I went to the Iowa regular Baptist camp up in Clear Lake. And as, a, as I think I was 15 years old, um, there was a missionary speaker there that challenged me. Um, and I realized that I, even though I was a Christian, I believed in Christ, that I had never devoted myself fully to the Lord. And so as a teenager, I told the Lord I would do whatever he wanted me to do. And, um, and so I wasn't sure what direction I would go as I headed into adulthood. Uh, but I thought I might end up being uh, maybe in, in accounting or finance or something like that. My dad was a banker, an insurance salesman, and real estate and all that. I thought I might go that direction. But... Um, um, and I thought, well, I just really need to be open to whatever God wants me to do. And so I decided to go to Bible college. And so I went to Faith Baptist Bible College in Ankeny. And, um, and so it was there that the Lord started working on me. And then at my home church, um, which was a little church called Holmes Baptist Church near Clarion, Iowa. Um, it was there that I worked with Vacation Bible School and working with young people. And um, I realized I really had a burden to, to work with youth. And so there I um, felt the Lord directing me to become a teacher. And so I ended up uh, going into the teacher program at Faith Baptist Bible College. And, um, and so um, also at Faith Baptist Bible College, I met my wife, Janice, Um, And I won't go into all the details there. I told the young adults a little of that story last night. But another reason that I met her was because my last name, Stupka, and her last name, Taylor, were pretty close alphabetically. And so in those classes where we sat by alphabetical order, um, I ended up sitting pretty close to her. Although her brother, Don Taylor, usually sat in between us. Um, and so <laughs> so that was interesting. But um, but, uh, but, anyway, I met my wife Janice at college and uh, went into teaching. I won't go into the long details of all the years in between, but I will show a few pictures. There's my wife Janice, and she's here somewhere, I believe. I'm trying to spot her. Okay, yep, there in the back row. And, um, and so uh, we... Uh, we're married after my sophomore year of college. And um, and then, um, let's see, I won't go into all the details, but ended up becoming a teacher and, and school principal at uh, a couple of different Christian schools over the years. And then I had the opportunity to teach at Faith Baptist Bible College. And, um, and so over those years, we had children. And I'll just go ahead and jump ahead. This is a picture right up here in the front of my about uh, was it three years ago now, two years ago, um, that my son Nathan uh, uh, married his wife Aubrey here, and um, and so they've been married for a couple of years now, and um, our family has grown from the two of us um, to uh, you know, we had four children, two boys and two girls, and then now we have a total of nine granddaughters. No grandsons yet. And so, so anyway, I'll show you a quick update. There I am, we have a lot of fun with our little granddaughters, and so we're riding a four-wheeler there. And there's little Morgan, and, uh, and she's not in the original picture up there at the top, so Morgan is gonna be celebrating her second birthday here pretty soon. And uh, then Tennessee is Nathan and Aubrey's little daughter. And uh, the latest little daughter is, little granddaughter, is uh, Margot, And Tiffany has her in the back there in the back row. And so um, so anyway, I say all this to say that it's uh, really a testimony of God's grace. Um, We are reminded that we are what we are by the grace of God. And um, when we think about um, God's grace in our lives... Um, I'm just reminded of the importance that uh, we as Christians ought to reflect God's grace in our interactions with other people. And uh, we're going to be talking about that today in our message. And um, it's interesting when we think about God's grace, I think of, uh, I was trying to think of an illustration earlier this week, and I was driving on my way to school, and every time I stopped at a stoplight in Ankeny, I was heading to the west, and up above the stoplight, there was the full moon um, that was just uh, descending in the morning. And then I thought, that's, a, that's my illustration. Um, the moon has no light of its own, does it? Um, the moon is pretty blah, you know, gray, rocky. Um, there's no vegetation there. There's no pretty rivers or waterfalls or trees. Um, but what makes the moon a beautiful thing to behold in the sky Um, when it reflects the light, reflects the light uh, from the sun. And so it is with us that uh, there's nothing beautiful or wonderful about us, but um, we can be beautiful and wonderful um, when we reflect God in our lives. That's the true way to be, to show beauty. And so let's go ahead and uh, think about God's grace today and um, think a little bit about, about the word Grace. And um, what is grace? Um, Some of you have probably heard the theological um, term, uh, what grace um, is defined as. Some of you may have heard the acrostic, God's riches at Christ's expense, and and there's some good truth to that as well. But usually, when we think of the theological definition of grace, it is uh, defined as unmerited favor, unmerited favor. In other words, it's when something good or favorable is done for someone and they don't deserve it. Something good is done for someone and they don't deserve it. And so let me show you an example of grace. And um, I don't know if you can see what this is. It's not a $100 bill, but it is a $5 bill. And um, when we think about uh, grace, it is uh, getting something when you don't deserve it. And so I didn't line this up or anything here, but... I was going to look for a young person, and I'm just going to give that to you today. And um, let me ask you, uh, first of all, can you tell me your first name? James. James. James, did you do any work for me to earn that $5? No. No. Uh, he just was here, wasn't he? And, um, and so, um, um, and I'm not expecting or asking him to do anything for me. I just gave him that gift. And that's what grace is. When uh, you're giving something that you did nothing to earn. You did nothing to, to deserve. And so, um, so you can keep that, James. And um, if you don't want it, you can put it in the offering bucket in the back. Or, <laughs> or you can give it to your brother like you did there. Um, or you can uh, go buy a Dairy Queen Blizzard or something like that, maybe. So, uh, so anyway, um, that's, what, that's what grace is, um, to, uh, to receive, to be given something that you didn't deserve. You did nothing to earn it. And um, and so, um, if I had given him a twenty dollar bill, you would uh, what would you say about the measure of grace that was being shown then? Great grace. Yeah, that's a little more. That's great. That's a little bit more. Um, and uh, if I gave him a hundred dollar bill, and I uh, would say, boy, that's that's almost amazing. And uh, and so. Uh, when we think about grace, uh, we're reminded of all of the hymns that are, that are spoken of about God's grace. And even in some of the hymns that we sang this morning, grace is mentioned. And um, uh, God's grace is amazing. Um, when I think about the amount of grace that God has shown to us, I'm reminded of Romans 5.8 that says that God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that's the, really the highest measure of grace, when you give everything for someone else when they didn't deserve it. When we were still sinners, um, did nothing to deserve God's grace, he died for us. And so God, God shows his grace to us in many ways. And sh- um, God showed his grace to Peter as well. As we study God's word, we see God's grace toward Peter in a variety of ways. Yes, Peter was the disciple who said he would die for Christ one moment. And then what did he do shortly thereafter? (laughs) Yeah, denied. I don't know him. I don't know him. Denied Christ three times. And um, um, Peter messed up, and he knew it. Yet, after the resurrection, uh, Jesus looked up Peter. He went and talked to him personally. Um, Did Christ speak words of judgment? Or did he scold Peter when he found him? No, he didn't. Instead, he asked Peter a simple question. Do you remember that simple question that he asked him? Yes. Do you love me? And how many times did he ask him that? Yeah, three times. And so that's spoken of in John chapter 21. And um, after Jesus asked, do you love me? Then he went on and talked to Peter and asked Peter to follow him. He, he still had a plan for Peter's life, and, um, and that's, uh, that's a good thing to know, that God shows his grace to us, not just once, um, and uh, when we blow it, he doesn't say, oh, okay, I'm done with showing you grace. He continues to pour out his grace toward us, and I'm thankful for that, and we're going to see how um, Peter's life was changed as a result, even as we look at today's passage. Well, in the past two Sundays, Pastor Lance has spoken on Acts chapter 10, and we learned of how Peter received a vision uh, from God where an object like a great sheet was lowered from heaven. And did you remember what was on that sheet? Yeah, I think you remember, those of you that were here. And uh, it was even repeated today in today's uh, Bible reading. Uh, All kinds of animals and creeping things and that sort of thing. And uh, Peter is given a command. Uh, t- to kill and eat, and so it was interesting um, that that God gave him that command. Um, and so, what was Peter's reply to that? The first time that God said, "Kill and eat," <laughs> not so, Lord. You know, I'm a Jew. I don't do that kind of thing. And uh, so, it's interesting to think of that. It shows a little bit of Peter's personality that he was one that um, wasn't just really submissive. He, you know, he had a mind of his own. And uh, so he uh, said, basically said, you know, no way, I don't do that. Um, But the command then was repeated two more times. And so it seems that Peter sometimes needs to be told things three times before the point gets across. Some of us are like that too, aren't we? Um, And so again, in the John 21 passage, um, uh, Jesus repeated, do you love me three times? And... um, But yet, despite Peter's failures, despite Peter's quirks, um, God continued to show his grace. Um, After the vision of the sheet coming down from heaven, the Holy Spirit spoke to Peter in Acts 10, 19. And he told him to go with three men. Peter went ahead and obeyed that command. And he, with uh, six of his Jewish friends, left the city of Joppa and traveled on to the city of Caesarea, Uh, where he was to go to the home of Cornelius, who was an army captain with the Roman army. And as we learned last week, this centurion was a just man. His name was Cornelius. He feared God, and he invited Peter and his friends to go into his home, where Cornelius' friends and relatives were waiting to hear from Peter. Did Peter accept Cornelius' invitation to go into his home? Yes, he did. And um, that in itself was a risky decision. Why was that so risky for Peter to go into this, um, to this Roman's home? He was not a Jew, was he? He was a Gentile. And uh, according to the Jewish law and customs, um, the Jews were not to associate um, with the Gentiles. And, um, And so... Um, Let's go ahead and look now to see exactly what Peter did. And so I invite you to turn in your Bibles to uh, Acts chapter 10. Again, we're reviewing a little bit from last week. Acts chapter 10, verses 27 and 28. Acts 10, verses 27 and 28. And so as um, Cornelius talked with Peter... He went in and found many who had come together. Then he said to them, You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. And so we see here that uh, Peter um, obeyed God, did something that was not according to the Jewish customs. But he obeyed God's command. And he then proceeded to share the gospel message with these Gentiles. And then, do you remember what happened? Let's look at verses 44 uh, through 46 to see the result of Peter's obedience. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word, and those of the circumcision, which means those who are the Jewish uh, believers. Who believed were astonished as many as many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnifying God, and so we see here the result that these Gentiles were then baptized in the name of the Lord, and his friends uh, um, and Peter stayed with the Gentiles there in Caesarea for several days, and so so it's interesting to see the result of uh, Peter's obedience to God, that these Gentiles believed in Christ and the Holy Spirit came upon them. It was like, a, it was like a Pentecost for the, the Gentiles uh, for the first time there. And so um, this that sets the stage, which now happens in Acts chapter 11. And so let's go ahead and look at Acts 11. We'll just read verses 1 through 3 together. These are verses that Pastor Ryan read earlier. But Acts 11, beginning in verse 1. Now the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. Word spreads quickly. Even in those days before the telephone and cell phones, the word got back to Judea and Jerusalem, um, and the Jewish believers heard what had happened up in Caesarea. And when Peter came to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him, saying, you went in to the uncircumcised men and ate with them? And so it's interesting to see the result of of Peter's obedience to God. Uh, uh, He received criticism from the Jewish believers in Jerusalem. Um, They were concerned why were they concerned? Because, um, because Peter had gone into the house of Cornelius, and he uh, and basically spent time with them, ate with them, and uh, that was really uh, he was walking on thin ice, or it looked very, very sinful to, for the, from the Jewish believer's perspective there. And so um, we see that they were very concerned. Um, hadn't Peter obeyed God and accomplished something wonderful? Many trusted in Christ and were baptized. I'm afraid that's not the way that they saw it. Instead, they criticized Peter. And in verse 3, we see that they were concerned that Peter had went into the home of uncircumcised men. These were non-Jewish people. They were Gentiles, and he ate with them. That's what they focused upon. And um, it's uh, interesting to see that Peter here, we'd say Peter's being criticized unjustly. How about you? Have you ever been criticized unjustly? Have you tried to obey God and help someone and end up being criticized for it? Most of us have probably had to endure some sort of unfair criticism. It reminds me of this saying... Um, there's only one way to avoid criticism. Do nothing, say nothing, be nothing. <laughs> Have you ever found that out? It's kind of like, uh, really, the only way to avoid criticism is lock yourself in the closet and, and don't interact with anybody and, and mind your own business. And even then, you'd probably be criticized by someone who says, why don't you get out of that closet and do something? Um, and so um, it's interesting to think of criticism. So how should we respond to criticism? Well, the Bible has several principles for us to remember. And so um, how can we respond to criticism with grace? I believe that we can see several ways in which uh, Peter responded in the right way. but We also see several other principles from God's word. And I'd like to go ahead and look at uh, a few passages together here. Um, First of all, you'll see that we should silently pray. Ask God for humility and wisdom when we're criticized. And so we see this uh, even when we think of the life of Nehemiah. Nehemiah, who was the cupbearer for the king in the New Testament, um, he, was, um, he would go before the king on a regular basis and again, he was the one that was the cupbearer, making sure that no one put poison in the king's drinks or food. And, um, and so Nehemiah... Um, was put on the spot. He was asked a question by the king. And as you know, when you're working with the king back in those days, um, it was a great honor, but it was also a very risky uh, responsibility. Because if you said something the king didn't like, um, your head could roll uh, before the end of the day. And so it was a very risky thing. Um, So he was uh, before the king. In verse 3 of Nehemiah chapter 2, I said, uh, the king um, said, uh, "'May the king live forever. "'Why should my face not be sad "'when the city, the place of my father's tombs, "'lies waste, and its gates are burned with fire?' And so Nehemiah is explaining how his homeland had been uh, destroyed, and the, and the city of Jerusalem was in ruins, and, and he was grieving about that. And then the king said to me, "'What do you request?' And so Nehemiah is put on the spot. Um, it, isn't act, it isn't actually criticism here, but uh, again, he's put on the spot, a difficult situation, and so we see what he did. So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I don't believe that uh, Nehemiah said, okay, wait a second, king, I need to pray for a few moments, and you know, he stepped to the back room and prayed. But I believe that he just silently said, God, help me. God, help me to say the, say the right words here in this situation. And I believe that's very important that we would take that approach uh, when we are confronted, when we're questioned about something, maybe when we're criticized, um, how should we respond? Um, start off by humbly praying. Help me, God. Help me, God, to respond the right way. Um, and um, we see this true also as we look in the book of James. Uh, James chapter 1, verse 5. James chapter 1, verse 5 where James instructs us that if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given him. God's saying, if you ask me for wisdom, I'll help you. Um, God wants us to go to him. And uh, so when we're confronted, when we're criticized, even unjustly, God says, go to him. And we see uh, something similar repeated in uh, James chapter four, um, in, uh, in verse six, James four, verse six, where it says, but God gives more grace. Therefore he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so it's important that we, again, ask God to give us words to say, and that we respond with humility. And that's one of the hard things when we're criticized, especially unjustly, to respond with humble spirit. And um, we're not just talking about in your workplace when you're criticized, but we're talking about in all areas of life when we're criticized, um, even with our spouses, those of us that are married, when our spouse accuses us of something, you know, that uh, was unjust. You know, did you make this mess in the bathroom? Um, Oh, what mess? You know, rather than um, getting defensive or angry, um, asking God to help us to respond uh, with humility. Um, another way that we can respond with grace when we're criticized unjustly is to quietly listen. Seek to understand. Um, again, the book of Proverbs, the book of Wisdom Gives us instruction on this. Proverbs chapter 15, verses 31 and 32. It says, The ear that hears the rebukes of life will abide among the wise. He who disdains instruction despises his own soul, but he who heeds rebuke gets understanding. And so those who are wise uh, listens listens to the rebukes of life. when someone rebukes you, when someone criticizes you, does that mean you're not wise? Not necessarily. <laughs> but if you respond being defensive and you say, I don't want to listen to what you have to say, then that kind of confirms that you're being foolish. And so may we listen to that uh, instruction and, um, and seek to be wise. Another way that we can um, show, uh, um, show grace when we're confronted or criticized unjustly is by humbly responding. Endeavor to grow while avoiding defensiveness. The book of Proverbs helps us hear once again how we can do this. Proverbs 10, verse 19, gives us some instruction on how to respond humbly. Ten nineteen, It says, "...in the multitude of words sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise." And so it's tempting to respond with a lot of talk when we're criticized, but instead the wise person chooses his words carefully and, um, and avoids saying something that's going to stir up things even more. Um, you probably heard the saying that it's important that when we talk that we seek uh, to, uh, to shed light on the issue rather than um, causing heat. Um, are our words causing light to be shown on this or is it causing heat and more arguments? And so 1019 um, says that. And uh, verse 20, I don't think I read that. Um, uh, proverbs 10:20 says, "The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. the heart of the wicked is worth little." And so um, that's proverbs 10, 19 and 20. Proverbs 25 11 and 12 also tell us how to humbly respond. Proverbs 25, 11, and 12 say, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and settings of silver. Like an earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold is a wise rebuker to an obedient ear. And um, that just reminds me of, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing in God's sight when someone rebukes someone. You might say that doesn't sound very beautiful to me. That sounds kind of ugly. Well, it's beautiful when someone rebukes someone in the right way and the other person responds in the right way. That's a beautiful thing. That's, how, that's one of the best ways that we can learn and grow is by interacting with other people. Other people say, I see something that's a concern in, in your life. And if we listen and we grow to be more like Christ, that is a, a beautiful thing. That's what God wants to see in our lives. And so so it's important that we seek to uh, respond the right way when we're confronted. And we see that uh, um, Peter, uh, I believe that he passed the test um, when he responded to his unjust criticism. He reflected God's grace by not becoming angry or defensive. Um, I believe that he listened and understood the perspective of those Jewish believers uh, who criticized him. After receiving the, Jewish, uh, the Jews' criticism, how did he respond? Let's go ahead and look back at Acts chapter 11. How did uh, Peter respond um, to the criticism? In verse 4, it says, But Peter explained it to them in order from the beginning. And so here we see that Peter explained it, and he explained it carefully. And when you look at uh, this uh, section in chapter 10, we see that it's almost word for word, or excuse me, uh, we see the account that uh, Peter shared in chapter 10. It's almost exactly the same as uh, what was uh, shared in the previous chapter um, of what had happened. So Peter carefully explained uh, to these Jewish Christians what had happened. And and, uh, Peter's response was a reflection of God's grace. Do you remember how Christ responded when he was unjustly accused? And uh, not only was he unjustly accru- accused, but when he was beaten and crucified? Uh, we see that in the book of 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, do you notice who wrote this book, 1 Peter chapter 2? Yeah, Peter. Uh, so I, Peter learned from Christ's example, which he saw repeated several times over and over again. Uh, but here we see, beginning in chapter or, uh, 1 Peter 2, 21, for, this, for to you this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Who, when Christ was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. And uh, that's, uh, that's a very powerful passage, isn't it? Just a reminder that we are called to follow the steps of Christ. And Peter, as he saw Jesus being accused, beaten, crucified, and uh, Christ always responding the right way, humble, humble spirit. Um, I think Peter learned from that. And uh, we should learn from it as well, shouldn't we? All right, I'm getting behind in my clicking here. All right. And so this passage shows us um, that we can reflect God's grace when we demonstrate a Christ-like response to unjust criticism or unfair treatment we can display God's grace when we demonstrate a Christ-like response to unjust criticism or unfair treatment. You know, if we were treated perfectly all the time, uh, it seems like that would be great. But it's when we are treated unjustly, when we are criticized unfairly, our response to that gives us an opportunity to show forth Christ. And uh, so that's, that's a good reminder for us. Um, This passage shows us another way in which we can reflect God's grace. Um, Let's look at Acts 11, beginning in verse 4. Again, here we see Peter's careful explanation of what happened when he received the vision in Joppa and went to Cornelius' home in Caesarea. In verse 13, we see what Cornelius said to Peter when Peter arrived in his home. Let's go ahead and look at Acts 11, verses uh, 13 and 14. Again, this is Peter speaking. And Cornelius told us of how he had seen an angel standing in his house who said to him, send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you the words by which you and all your household will be saved. And so then we see that Peter began to speak and share the gospel message with the Gentiles who were present. And in verses 15 and 16, it says, um, And as I, Peter, began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so as the Gentiles heard the gospel message and believed in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit fell upon them. And they began to speak in tongues and magnifying God in various languages as evidence of the Holy Spirit falling upon them. And, um, and so Peter um, also in this past, in when he's recounting things in Acts chapter 11, it's interesting that Peter left out an interesting detail in his explanation to the Christians in Jerusalem. Um, when we go back to Acts 10, verse 45, we see the account that says that those of the circumcision... Which were the Jewish Christians, there were six of them that had gone with Peter to Cornelius' home. But uh, they um, who believed were astonished as many came with Peter because of the the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. And so I think when Peter started preaching and uh, Peter and his six friends saw what happened, their jaws hit the floor. It's like, what is going on here? How is this happening? How are these Gentiles um, receiving the Holy Spirit? Um, you know, They shouldn't be allowed to do this. They haven't um, obeyed the Jewish customs. They haven't been circumcised. They haven't abstained um, with, um, with from uh, eating certain types of food. They haven't followed all these Jewish customs. Why are they getting the Holy Spirit? And so it's an interesting thing to think about that. Um, they couldn't believe it. Um, how could these heathen (laughs) um, receive God's grace? We might think that these Jewish Christians were self-righteous fools for being surprised at the salvation of the Gentiles. Yet, uh, do we have similar attitudes at times? Are we guilty of thinking or saying those people could never become Christians? um, Or that person is going to burn in hell for his sins, and he deserves it. I don't know about you, but sometimes those thoughts cross my mind, especially when I think of certain people. Um, some of you remember the mass murderer, uh, Ted Bundy. Another one, Jeffrey Dahmer, who were convicted of, of murdering uh, many people. And, uh, but the, the amazing thing is that while they were in prison, they heard the gospel message, and um, um, they claim to have trusted in Christ. And there's some evidence that they, they did. And um, even now, as I say this, it's kind of like, no, that couldn't be possible, could it? Um, but it was, and it is. And why is that so? Um, because, as the Bible tells us, God is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. That means the the worst of sinners. He's not willing. He doesn't want anyone to perish, anyone to die and go to hell. Uh, He wants all to come to repentance. And uh, this passage is from 2 Peter 3, 9. So who wrote those words? God is not willing that any should perish. Yeah, Peter. Um, Peter saw that God's grace was extended to everyone. And we see that true in other passages as well. Um, Titus 3.5 tells us that not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. And uh, Ephesians 2.8 and 9 tell us um, that it's by grace we have been saved and uh, not by any type of work that we have done. And, um, and so maybe you're here today And maybe you have thought, God would never save me. I'm too much of a sinner. I've done too many sinful, wrong things. I don't deserve it. Well, you're right about that I don't deserve it. But none of us deserves God's grace, do we? Um, And uh, that's why it's called grace. Uh, We do nothing to deserve it. But my friend, if you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ to save you from your sins, don't delay any longer. Uh, He uh, he does not want anyone to die and to to go to hell for their sins. Uh, He already paid the price for your sins. You just need to accept his gift of salvation and trust in him as your Savior today. And I would say, if you want to talk with anyone about uh, accepting God's saving grace today, Please talk with me, talk with another Christian here. We would be glad to share with you um, how you can come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. And so, um, again, uh, we are thankful for God's grace that he's shown in all of our lives. And we trust and hope that all of you will leave this place knowing that uh, you have been a recipient of God's grace. Well, finally, let's go ahead and... um, I'll go to the main point from that section. And that is, we reflect God's grace by sharing the gospel with all people. We re- reflect God's grace by sharing the gospel with all people. And that's something that, uh, uh, if you're in a growth group, you'll discuss this area a little bit more um, this evening in your, or whenever you have your growth group meeting. But um, God has put all of us in different areas um, in uh, the Des Moines metro area, we have people living in a variety of areas here in Iowa. And uh, God has given us all special spheres of influence. And he desires that we all use that uh, to share and reflect his grace to others. And so, um, so anyway, that's uh, one way that we reflect the God's grace by sharing the gospel with all people and not just a select few. <clears throat> Finally, let's read verse 18 of chapter 11 and see what happens when we reflect God's grace to others. Um, Chapter 11, verse 18. And so Peter had given the account of what had happened. And uh, just going back to verse 17 for a moment, it says, um, Peter is speaking here again, if therefore God gave them, God gave the Gentiles the same gift he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, Who was I that I could withstand God? And when they, the Jewish Christians, heard these things, they became silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. And so it's interesting to see the response of the Jewish believers after Peter's explanation. First, we see that they became silent Why did they become silent? Well, I believe it was a result of Peter's humble explanation of what had happened in Caesarea. He just explained, here's what happened, my friends, and went through and told them various details. Um, Second, also note, going back to verse 12, that Peter had six witnesses, six Jewish Christians who went with him. And I think that was uh, a wise move on on, uh, Peter's part. Maybe Peter didn't orchestrate it, but it was great that there were six others who, who were there that said, yeah, Peter, he's telling the truth. Um, they could confirm that the words that Peter spoke were true. And then Peter concluded with a powerful question um, when, in verse 17 when he said, who was I that I could withstand God? Who was I that I could withstand God? God. The Holy Spirit had come upon these Gentiles and, um, you know, I couldn't stop it. You know, how could I withstand God? And, um, and so it's, it's interesting, this question. And it's interesting that Peter had tried to withstand God a couple of times before. Um, remember back in Matthew chapter 16, when uh, Peter said to Jesus, um, you should not go to Jerusalem and suffer and die. No, no, Lord. You should not do this. Um, Do you remember um, Jesus' response to Peter when he said that? Yeah. Yeah. Get behind me, Satan. Um, So um, here we see uh, Peter tried to withstand Christ, and uh, that didn't work out so well. Um, When Peter said uh, that he wasn't going to rise and kill and eat, um, again, that's where Jesus had to uh, respond three times and say, This is what you need to do. This is what you need to do. And and so it's interesting to note that Peter ended that um, explanation with a question. And I think it's very important that we, if we want someone to think about something, and if we're on the other side of criticism or confrontation, that we remember um, that uh, a question is a good thing to do. A question is... Showing that you're humbly saying, I don't know all the answers. Can you enlighten me? Uh, can you help me? And, uh, and there's a saying, and uh, the saying is this. Questions prick the conscience, but accusations harden the will. Questions prick the conscience, but accusations harden the will. And so Peter asked this question, and I believe it pricked the conscience of these Jewish believers. And they said, that's a good point, Peter. Um, you shouldn't withstand God. And, um, and so um, it's interesting to take note of that, that uh, how Peter used this question in a powerful way. If Peter had come to the meeting with the Jewish Christians and accused them of being self-righteous bigots, a heated argument probably would have occurred. Rather, he calmly explained what had happened and ended with a very thoughtful question. And again, we've that question: How could I withstand God? And um, the result, Peter's accusers were silent. And not only that, what does the verse say? They glorified God, saying, "Then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life." Praise the Lord. And um, and that goes on to the final point, which you see there on the screen. That when we reflect God's grace to others, we bring glory to him. When we reflect God's grace to others, we bring glory to him. Um, How often do we, in our pride, respond the wrong way to criticism? Trying to make ourselves look smart. Trying to make ourselves look like we're not the bad guy, we're the good guy. Um, Rather, uh, may we respond to criticism um, in a Christ-like way. So that, uh, not that we're glorified so that Christ could be glorified. And um, when I thought about this, I was reminded of, of, uh, of being from a teaching background. Um, math was one of the subjects I enjoyed teaching. And so there's an equation um, for uh, bringing glory to God. And uh, first of all, um, seeking to have a graceful spirit when we're criticized, responding with grace, unmerited favor, listening, being kind, and gentle. And then, if we add testimony of God's goodness. And, um, and so, again, sharing testimony of what God has done. And, um, and even when I think of that, I started this message by sharing my personal testimony. And um, when we interact with people, just remember the power of your personal testimony. Sometimes we hesitate to, to share. Um, the gospel with people because we're thinking what if they ask me a question I don't know the answer well I'll just tell you I get many questions that I don't know the answer Uh, we just have to say that's a good question (laughs) I'm not sure of the answer Um, I'm going to check into that and I'll get back to you Um, but may that fear not um, hinder us from sharing the gospel from sharing our testimony with others so what is the what is the sum? What is the result when we have a graceful spirit and we share testimony of God's work? Yeah. God is glorified. God is glorified. And uh, again, when we're sharing the gospel with someone, that person may not trust in Christ and the spot, but um, it's our desire that uh, maybe someday they will. But God does not require us to, uh, to save people. Um, the Holy Spirit takes care of that. He requires us to be faithful. And, he just, um, and that means that we're full of faith. That we're not fearful, but that we're full of faith. And so, um, so as we think of these main points today, remember that um, we can reflect God's grace when we demonstrate a Christ-like response to unjust criticism or unfair treatment. Um, that we can reflect God's grace by sharing the gospel with all people. And then finally, when we do reflect God's grace, we bring glory to Him. And and so when we think about that, um, I'm reminded of that uh, beginning um, illustration about the moon. And uh, the question is, is, how brightly are we reflecting God's grace? Where are we in our lives today? Are we like that little crescent moon that just see a little sliver of God's grace in our lives? Or... Are we like a full moon that's shining brightly uh, so that others will, spot, will see God's grace through our lives? That's the challenge before us today. Let's close with a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you today. Uh, we thank you for the grace that you've shown in our lives. Uh, your grace is truly amazing. Uh, we don't understand why, uh, while we were still sinners, that you died for us. We've done nothing deserving your grace, yet you've reached out and shown your grace in so many ways. Um, our, only, our only response ought to be to turn around and say our lives are yours, Lord. And I pray that uh, you would help all of us, that it would seek to give not just a small portion of our lives to you, but our whole lives to you so that we could reflect your grace in all that we say and do every day. And Lord, I pray that uh, you would help us all to do that. And I pray that you'll, you'll bless now as um, we conclude this service and we pre- prepare for the, sen- um, the, the second family service. I pray for Brother uh, Seth Thompson as he prepares to share the devotional with us. Lord, I pray that you'll heart- help our hearts to continue to be sensitive and tender to your leading. And may you use us uh, to show your grace in the lives, uh, to the lives of others this week. We pray it in Christ's name, amen.